Before you sit, let's just take a moment. Let's lift our hands and let's just add God, ask God's favor and blessing in this place. Father, we thank you that you're present in this place. We don't have to beg for your presence. You're here. We're just asking that we see you, feel you, touch you, experience you. Lord, we don't want to just have a religious service. As Quig said, we want to encounter you the Lord God. And Father, in spite of my flaws as I stand before this church, in spite of our flaws as people, Father, we surrender to you in this place. We align our faces with yours because we want to see your glory. Show us your glory, Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Have a seat. Today, we begin a new series on leadership for the birth and rebirth of kingdom, strong kingdom leaders. And it, it, one might ask, why are we beginning now a, a, a series on leadership and why are we doing so from the book of Nehemiah, this little often read book, Nehemiah as the Guide? Well, Nehemiah was a book that was written, they believe, somewhere from 430 to 415 B.C., in a first-person narrative from this man named Nehemiah, his perspective. And the book of Nehemiah opens in the Persian city of Susa right around 444 B.C. And nothing really is known about Nehemiah's youth or his background, his life, his upbringing. We don't hear of him until this moment, and we meet him living as an adult in the palace and serving in the Persian royal court as personal cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. We know from history and scripture that the Israelites were taken into captivity by the Persians for, for 70 years. And if you go look at the story of Jeremiah, the prophecy, and then at the end of that 70 year period, Ezra comes along and, and goes back to Jerusalem to try to rebuild and restore the temple and the people back to their glory. And this book, Nehemiah, happens about 15 years after that. So there are many reasons that Nehemiah could or would be our guide on leadership, especially as it's touted as a book about leadership. However, I think the reason, or I believe the reason that Nehemiah is so relevant to us today in 2021 is because I believe that at this moment in our history, Nehemiah was a lot like us in our current day in the church. And when I say us, I mean the American church, us in this room. Like us, Nehemiah was born into exile. Scripture says that we are foreigners and strangers, we're aliens, we're exiles in this foreign land. Like us, Nehemiah had affluence and influence. Look around the room, no guilt or shame, but we have affluence and influence. Like many of us, Nehemiah had been raised up in the truth of God and he had an understanding of his heritage of faith and upbringing. Like us, Nehemiah lived a faith, but there was a faith that was being attacked in current culture and it was dwindling and it was dying. Like us, Nehemiah was in exile, but he had never faced or experienced any real pain or suffering or persecution. And finally, like many of us, Nehemiah had probably grown up hearing about the power and the goodness of God, the God of the universe, the God of the Hebrews, the God of the Bible, but he had probably never really seen, been touched by, or experienced the greater things of God. And I'm going to refer to this today as the more. 
And when I say the more, I mean that as believers, as followers of Jesus, we know in our core, deep in our bellies, that there is the more to this life if we follow Jesus. That there is more beyond travel, soccer, 401k plans, vacation homes, retirement on a golf course or a lake house as if retirement exists in the Bible at all. We may not know how we know or we may not have experienced it, but we find ourselves unsatisfied. Like Nehemiah, if we're being really honest, there's a holy dissatisfaction burning in our belly because we know that there's something missing as we drive to church maybe on Sunday morning. Like many of us, Nehemiah couldn't exactly identify the more, but he just knew that there was the more out there. Does this sound familiar to you? Living life in status quo, acting satisfied with wealth, comfort, social status, financial security, or safety would and could no longer work. You see, Nehemiah, like us, also lived in a very wealthy bubble. And let me be clear, there was no need for Nehemiah then or us today to apologize for his upbringing or his position. There was no need for Nehemiah to stand in some kind of false cultural guilt for being privileged or not having faced any real persecution or suffering. But like us now in 2021 AD, Nehemiah was faced in 444 BC with shocking events that were outside of his bubble and outside of his sphere of influence. Sound like us? We don't know from this story if Nehemiah had heard about what was going on in Jerusalem back at the city with the walls being destroyed and the gates being burned down. We don't know if he had heard about it and had just chosen to ignore it or had he been sitting in some kind of feeling of helplessness and burden that he couldn't do anything about it. But what we do know is that like many of us looking at the world around us, Nehemiah found himself standing at a crossroads in life where he just had to make a choice. Life as usual wouldn't cut it. You see, when we come to a crossroads in life, when a crossroads happens, we can either continue to follow what we've always known and always done, or we can stop, we can reassess, we can change direction, and we can resolve to know the one that we follow, Jesus. You see, like us, Nehemiah was hearing about events in a faraway land that he did not understand, that really didn't touch his life. Nehemiah was suddenly in that moment confronted with an Afghanistan, a Haiti, sex trafficking, homelessness, poverty, the lost, the dying, you fill in the blank, identity crisis on our college campuses, you fill in the blank. And like us, he had a choice. Nehemiah could feel helpless and he could think, that's horrible, but what can I do? Nehemiah could offer up a quick prayer. Lord, help them in Afghanistan. I'm not saying that's bad. Nehemiah could, could post on Facebook, praying, I feel your pain. Or, you know, he could talk about it with great concern around the water cooler or at church on Sunday. And then that afternoon, tee up his golf ball. Or, or, Nehemiah 
could be moved to do something. But what? What could Nia possibly do? He was only a cupbearer to the king. And he was still a slave in exile. I mean, he was maybe a slave with position and, and, and influence and affluence, but he was still a slave nonetheless. In that moment, Nehemiah's response was to resolve himself to know the God that he said that he followed, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Nehemiah chose to align or realign his face, his purpose, and his heart with the heart of God. What did Nehemiah do? In that moment, he sat down and he began to weep and mourn, it says, for days. Not just for a day, not just for a week, but for days. And throughout those days, it says he continued fasting and praying. We don't know if those days were six months, three weeks, a week, we have no idea. But through that process, Nehemiah sat down and said, I am not moving. I'm going to fast and pray and weep and mourn and call on the name of the Lord. See, something beautiful snapped in Nehemiah. And he said, enough is enough. In essence, Nehemiah said, I cannot continue doing church as usual. I can't continue living on my own course, ignoring the world's events around me. I cannot continue living satisfied with the inferior. I want what is superior with the Lord. I want the more that I know in my gut is out there. And in that moment, Nehemiah decided it was time to take an honest look at his life to take stock of how he was living and what he was doing with all the resources at his disposal. No guilt, no condemnation. I wanna be clear here today, guys. Just honest assessment. Just honest assessment because what he was doing and how he was living would no longer satisfy. Why? Because there was the more. Notice, notice that Nehemiah, in that moment, he didn't rush out and start engaging in social justice projects. He didn't guiltily sign up to take food to the hospital to sick people. He did not join a Bible study or run down to the rescue mission and serve food on Thanksgiving Day. And let me be clear, all those are wonderful, wonderful things to do, and they can often be awesome in our growth as followers of Jesus. And they're often a part of really loving well and serving our community. But it wasn't Nehemiah's starting point and it shouldn't be ours. The starting point for Nehemiah was creating space to get honest with himself, get honest with God and be honest about the impact of his life and to realign his heart, his face with the heart and face of God. And here's the beautiful truth. When we realign with the heart of God, he will begin to call us into the more. And he promises to do the greater things in us and through us and around us. So where do we start? Well, where did Nehemiah start? He started with two questions. In essence, I believe as he prayed and he wept and he fasted and continued fasting and praying, he asked himself and he asked of God these two questions. Who am I and what breaks my heart? Who am I and what breaks my heart? You see, that is the beginning of the birth of kingdom leaders. God, the king of the universe, is calling us, his bride and his kids, to step into the more. And it begins with these very simple but very difficult questions that only he can answer that I ask of you today. Who are you?
and what breaks your heart? Who are you and what breaks your heart? I don't mean what you do. When someone says, who are you? I'm not a lawyer. That's what I do. Who are you and what breaks your heart? See, we will live at a deficit and live dissatisfied if we do not know the answers to these questions that God, our Father, wants to answer. Here's the problem, though. The answers cannot originate from us running out and engaging and doing stuff, even if it's really good stuff. There's a movie out there called Free Burma Rangers. It's about a missionary, Dave Eubank, who lives in Burma. And he says, over here are the things of sin, behavioral stuff that we're clearly to say no to. Over here are good things, even good Christian stuff that's not ours to do, that God says, say no to those things. And straight ahead are things that God has uniquely invited and called you into. And you're to say yes to those things and run straight ahead. There's all green lights. Amen. But you and I cannot discover that straight ahead stuff by trial and error. It must begin, middle and end, be in the presence of God where we discover who we are and what breaks our hearts. So you'll never discover who you are and what breaks your heart in what you build, how much you possess or in the presence of people. You'll only discover who you are and what breaks your heart as you dwell in the presence of God and hear his voice for you. You see what happens when we start to spend time, create space in the presence of God? He begins to tell us who he is. We start to discover the truth about who God, his bigness is, his beauty, his majesty. And then he begins to start to tell us who we are scripturally and uniquely created to be in our unique DNA. And then we start to discover what breaks our hearts. And then he starts to call us to step out into the more. When I was growing up, my parents had lots of parties. I don't know if you could tell about me. I'm an introvert. I'm very shy. I don't like parties. I'm very quiet. My parents had parties. I loved parties. And I loved these parties because it was full of a lot of people. The house would get packed and there was food and there was fun and there was games. And usually the evening would end in some kind of really like big worship prayer time. And it would go late, late, late into the night. And when I was a younger kid, there was always that time in the night when my mom would come find me in the party and grab my hand and lean down and say, it's time to go to bed. Ah, ah right? I would run all away from her to keep staying. But she'd find me, she'd grab me by the hand and take me off to bed and she'd put me to sleep. She'd kiss me, leave the room. Well, it was horrible. It was horrible to be left in there with the house so full and so alive. Even though I was told I had to go to sleep, I would, I would lay in bed trying desperately to fight sleep while listening to outbursts of loud laughter and worship. But you know what would kill me the most is when it got deathly silent. I would strain, what's happening in there? Someone's getting raised from the dead. Right, what's going on in there? I, I gotta get, and I would get out of bed. I would jump up and down. I'd slap my face. I'd put knuckles in my eyes to try to remain awake. And it never failed that at some point, the temptation to sneak out of my room to go down the hallway, to try to sneak back into the party would become just too great. I knew, I just knew that to sneak out of my room into the hallway and back toward the party was worth the risk. And you know why it was worth the risk? You know why I knew it? Because I knew that eventually my mother would have that mother sixth sense thing that moms have where their radar goes, doo, 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 there's a kid out of bed. 
And she would come find me in the hallway as I was waiting, listening. And I knew that when she got to me, you know what I knew? I knew that she would not get mad and she would not scold me. She might take me back to my room and put me back to bed. But you know what the greater reason why I would do all that? You know the, re the reason the risk was so worth it to get out in the hallway and try to get back in the party was because there was a stronger chance that my mom would grab me by the hand and lead me back into the party. There was a stronger risk that she would snuggle me up against her, put me in her lap, and I would get to enjoy and join back in the crowd and the worship and what was going on in the alive party. See, here's the point. We are at a crossroads, church, right now in the world. There is real stuff happening out there in the world. The temptation is for us to close our eyes and go to sleep. There is a real temptation to ignore the outbursts going on outside our door. And we often feel so tired and we feel like there's nothing that we can really do. It would be easy for us to think to ourselves that we're just little kids with little or no influence in our corner of the world and we can't affect any real change. So why not just check out and go to sleep and save up for retirement? But you know in your belly because there's a leader in you you know you can't go to sleep because you know that there's this leader dying to get out and you know deep in your soul that there is the more out there. The question is, are you and I willing to be childlike? Are we willing to risk going out in the hallway and waiting on the Father to come and get us? Are we willing to trust that the Father wants to lead us into the more? Are we willing to wake up from our slumber and push into the more? And here's the beautiful promise. The Father will not get mad at you when you get out in the hallway and wait on him. In fact, he wants it. He desires it. And he'll come get you and he'll grab you by the hand and he will take you into something greater, into the more. And I don't care if you're 18 or 90, if you're CrossFit champion or in a wheelchair, CEO or homemaker, if you're a child of the king, then he calls you a leader and he invites you into the more that will scare you to death but will blow your mind and give you true life. And the starting point for every leader at every stage of life, whether you're 18 or 55 or 85, is to create space, sit down, weep, fast, pray, call on the name of the Lord, get real with yourself, get real with God, and take an honest assessment of your life and ask the questions, who am I and what breaks my heart. And this is not a once in a lifetime thing. It's gotta recur again and again as we step into new seasons and life brings new changes. Even the beginning of May this year, as Sheen and I are looking at rapidly empty nesting, we felt like the Lord said to us, I want you to dig it out. And we said, dig it out. What do you mean, Lord? And we began to ask. And we believed he was saying to us, I want you to physically, spiritually, and emotionally dig it out with me. I want you to change some patterns of your lives. I want you to intensify some things. I want you to lose some COVID weight. I want you to dig into your marriage. I want you to dig out of some ruts in your lives that you didn't even know that you were in. I want you to get out of your ruts and get into a groove with me. So we began to examine some places in our lives where we were in ruts. You see, there's a big difference 
between being in a groove and being in a rut. You know what I'm talking about? Like being in a groove, a groove is good. A groove is when you're present and available and you're in good movement. A rut is stuck. A rut is laborious. A groove is fun and present, but it's really hard work to get into and stay in. But a rut is exhausting and tedious, but it's very easy to get in and it's very easy to stay in. To live in grooves, it takes all our focus, intentionality, and our work. Not works, but work. One day in this process, I felt I heard the Lord say, and I don't hear a voice, I just get thoughts, impressions, but I felt like I heard the Lord say these three words, intensity, surrender, provision. And I kept pressing in on that. Intensity, surrender, provision. Intensity, surrender, provision. And I felt like the Lord began to say to me, as you take it to a next level of intensity, I will call you into deeper levels of surrender, but I promise you that I will release to you and release for you and through you my greater levels of my provision see we're not to focus on the surrender and the provision part our job our work is to live into the next level of intensity and position ourselves in realignment with the heart of God and he will do the rest that's his promise this requires of, a, of us an intensity that's hard work, but he says, I'll call you into deeper places of surrender, yes, but I promise I will release greater and greater levels of my provision. Listen, I wanna be clear about something. I am not pointing a finger at anyone else in this room as I drove here today in my Volvo and stand before you wearing Lululemon. I am not, listen, I do not stand before you pointing a finger and saying, hey, you got, this is my life that God is calling me into deeper levels of intensity. This is our life as a couple as we look at the next stage of life. Listen, I'm 55 years old and Sheena's 53. I think we look great. That was celebrating Cole's wedding about five weeks ago, our oldest. Rachel's getting married in December. You would have thought they could have planned better. It's like taking a bullet to our brains. Didn't know how much money we were gonna save by them coming off our payroll. It's pretty awesome. But if I'm being honest, the next level of intensity threatens to mess with goals of comfort, safety, retirement. And the temptation for us is to sit back and become a spectator. We were watching Cole and Emily danced their first dance. And the temptation, it was beautiful, it was awesome. The temptation is to sit back and suddenly become a, a, part, a spectator of the dance of the bride and the groom. And watching the dance can be beautiful and heart-wrenching, but it is not ultimately going to satisfy. You see, no matter what season of life, no matter how old or young, God wants us on the dance floor. He wants us not to be out there just for one dance, but all night long. He wants us getting sweaty. He wants that shirt getting unbuttoned. He wants to start to jam to the music. He wants the joy, the excitement. And here's the truth. There is a risk that during the dance, you could look and feel like a fool. Yep, that's me. <laughs> you could look and feel like a complete idiot twerking up on people. But I have learned, I have learned that I would rather risk looking the fool. Please take that down. Oh my God. 
I have learned, I have learned that I would rather risk looking the fool while experiencing the full dance with God than sitting back and watching the beauty of the dance. See, church, we're at a crossroads. God wants us to get out on the dance floor and live into the more. Like Nehemiah, he's looking to birth a whole sea of leaders that will impact the world around them. Will you answer the yes, no matter the risk? Will you risk getting on the dance floor and looking like a fool? Even last Sunday, and I, please, I don't say this next part to be arrogant or boastful. Last Sunday, I began a seven-day fast that's ending after I leave here. Only water. I'm starving. But it's been one of the most beautiful seven days that I've experienced because I believe I was getting in this place of just like, Lord, there's more and there's all this stuff. We've got kids coming back to our house and Afghanistan happening and, and, and Haiti happening and racial disunity and lack of reconciliation and church apathy and faith apathy and all this stuff that's going on and it's like Lord I, I don't know what to do with any of this anymore what can I do what difference could I possibly make have all these years of following Christ meant anything at all but I know there's more God I know there's the more on the third day the first two are exhausting on the third day, I get this random text from a contact that was not in my phone. So it's just a text. And it said, Mike, there are seven refugee girls in, in Afghanistan we're trying to evacuate. And there's a family of eight. We need help. Will you help us? Can you get support raised? Can you find sponsor families? Can you find people that will take them in? And I had to respond, yes. Who's this? <laughs> and he told me his name. And I said, that's awesome. Who's this? And he said, five or six years ago, I went on a mission trip with you. You led me on a mission trip. I was like, awesome, sorry. But yes, we're in, I'm in. We'll do it, what do you need? We'll make it happen. Just yesterday, I was at the gym. Someone would say, why are you at the gym when you're in a fast? I just felt like I was supposed to keep in that intensity. I'm at the gym and I'm working out. And over here on another, on another in the set of weights was this massive, good looking, young black guy arms this big we had kind of like swapped off some equipment said hello I went and got on the treadmill and I'm walking and I felt like the Lord said you have a word for that young man I thought oh Lord not again I always look the fool you have a word for him okay Lord what's the word he told me a lot of stuff but just I'm going to boil it down to just a couple of things he said I want you to go ask him if he's a follower of Jesus and then I want you to tell him that I see him, I see what he's doing, to not grow weary, to keep going, that the light of Jesus is all over him. He's not to quit. And I want you to invite him into your home. And I was like, oh, he's gonna think I'm nuts. Got off the treadmill. I was kind of half hoping he'd be gone. I made my way back over there and there he was. And I was like, okay, Lord, here we go. I walked over and I said, Hey, can I ask your name? He told me. And I said, are you a follower of Jesus? He said, I am. I gave him that word. You know what he did? He put his head down, comes up with tears, and wraps me up in those big, massive arms. I was like, Rrr. 
And he began to cry. And he said, Mike, last year my wife and I started a ministry. Four weeks ago, my mentor died. This past Monday, my dad died. Yesterday, I was sitting with my wife and I said, honey, I think we've made a mistake. I can't keep doing this. I can't go on. I need a word from God to know if I'm supposed to keep going on. Guys, I don't know what's going to happen with that text or with this new relationship when he comes to my house. I don't know, but I do know that in God's economy, there's no small act of obedience. Every act of obedience releases his presence, his power, and his provision. It's his promise. And your and my job is not to create the, or manufacture the presence, the power, or the provision. Our job is simply to create the space to listen, to hear his voice. See, here's the thing. This week, I'm no saint. I'm very flawed. If you know me, ha, huh, sometimes can have a mouth like a sailor. But when I got in the hallway, God came out to find me in the hallway and was simply saying, will you say yes? Will you come with me on this journey? He's coming out in the hallway today, guys. He's coming to find you. Will you get in the hallway and wait on him? That's what this leadership series is about. It's not about we're gonna go, we don't know what God's gonna do. Get in the hallway and wait on your father. He will come get you. He will lead you. He will take you. Men of this church, God is calling you to rise up and do something you've never done before. Set aside, be ready to give away your 401k plans. I don't know. You might be thinking, you're an idiot, Mike. I'm never doing that. But get ready to do whatever God wants to do. Ladies, get on your knees and call on the name of the Lord. Go to war for your kids, your husband, your community. There's more. There's more. So today, as we start this series, I don't know if you want to come to the altar, but just take a moment to say, Lord, I'm all in. Let's do this thing. I want the more. I want to know who am I and what breaks my heart. I want to flood this altar with people that are saying, Lord, I want to make a difference. This church can make a difference. And if you want to get here and pray by yourself, stay in your pews, go over here and pray with someone else, I don't care. Just call on the name of the Lord and begin to ask, who am I and what breaks my heart? So as I close in prayer, just we're gonna take a moment to take this series seriously and not have an intellectual exercise, but hear the voice of God. Father, thank you that you call us children. Thank you that when we get out in the hallway and wait on you, your promise is that you will come find us. You'll never be mad. You'll never scold us. You'll take us into the, back into the party and we'll get to enjoy the life, the life, that abundant life that Jesus said we would have if we trusted you and if we followed you. So today, Lord, we're making a change. We're changing direction. Amen.